The beginning of John's narrative around what we call Palm Sunday begins with a story prior to it that John uses to shape his narrative of what God is doing when Jesus enters in on a donkey to journey to the cross. It begins in John 12 with Jesus visiting his friends for dinner, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead, and he's in this place called Bethany. Now at the dinner, we see Mary pour perfume and clean the feet of Jesus with her hair, which is immediately followed by an interaction with Judas around money and giving to the poor, where Jesus makes a comment about his own burial that they will always have the poor with them, but they won't always have him. And what Jesus is doing is he's hinting at which he had done on different occasions and is going to continue to do over the coming week about what's going to happen when we reach Good Friday. The text also says that the people came not only to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, this person who was raised to life. And what John is doing is John is placing this story of Jesus with Lazarus, who he raised from the dead at the beginning, so he can help explain this larger Holy Week narrative that's going to unfold over the coming week that it's not only going to be Lazarus who experiences being raised to new life, but others as well. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We also see that the disciples still don't quite understand what's happening in the world around them as Jesus talks about this. In fact, it seems like most people, when we look at the Palm Sunday story, don't really understand what is happening. You see, their expectations of what they think Jesus is about to do and what actually happens are at opposite ends of the spectrum. Have you ever had that happen to you? where you've had a set of expectations of how you think things should work, only to find out your expectations were not anywhere near the reality. You know, for our family, we, we love watching a show on Netflix called Nailed It. And it's the show where ordinary bakers take on the task of recreating Pinterest-styled cakes and baking. And, and as a family, we laugh when they post the side-by-side photos of expectations of what we think it should look like versus the reality of how it actually turned out. Because they never look alike. But maybe this idea of expectations not being met is more serious than just a Pinterest-type fail. Maybe it's been in relationships where you expected the other party to act a certain way only to be disappointed when it doesn't go as planned. Or maybe you expected to have your life be in a different place than it is right now and you never anticipated it looking this way. And maybe for you that brings good feelings or maybe discouragement. Or maybe... You expected the lockdown of this past year to truly only be two weeks when that's what they said it would be. And now here we are a year later still navigating the complexities of a worldwide pandemic. I mean, this is the interesting thing about expectations, that depending on our expectations and how they play out can really depend on how we view and interpret certain situations around us. But expectations usually come from a specific worldview or experience that tell us how things are supposed to work in the world around us. And what this can do is this can deeply affect our own spiritual journey because what happens is we can carry our own set of expectations of how we think or believe Jesus works in the world based on what we've been told or based on how we see the world working. And if those expectations then become unmet expectations, it can leave us with doubt or frustration. But What if how God works in the world is actually different than what we've assumed? What if he doesn't work the way we think he should or the way the world thinks things should work? How would we respond and what would it mean for us? This is what I want us to wrestle through together. And and as we sort this out together, it's important to note how we need to address theology and questions around our own worldview, expectations, and what it means to follow Jesus. The reality is, is that we have to start with the person of Jesus and then reconfigure our ideas, our expectations, and our worldviews around him. 
rather than trying to fit him into our pre-existing worldview or expectations. So what we have to be willing to do is honestly look at our expectations of how we think Jesus works and hold them up against the stories of Jesus to see and answer this question, is that really how Jesus works? Because ultimately, when it comes to following Jesus, he's not an add-on to our already existing life that we just fit in where we can. Rather, Jesus is at the center and everything else is evaluated and based on what it means to follow Jesus and circles around him. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to not simply glaze over the next three services of Holy Week because you think you know what to expect. But rather, would you wrestle with us as we begin this journey toward the cross and resurrection to see what we can continue to learn about how God desires to work in the world? Would you hold your expectations of what that looks like openly in case Jesus wants to point them in a new direction? Because the truth is, no matter how many times we've heard this story, Easter is never the story we expect. With that, let's look back at the story of Palm Sunday. As I mentioned, John intentionally puts the story of Lazarus in his Jesus narrative right before Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem so that he can tell the readers about the work that Jesus is going to do. That Lazarus, who is raised from the dead, is pointing toward Easter Sunday and what that means for the world. But again, let's not get too far ahead and jump into the story that John's telling. In John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19, John says this. He says, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Now, since we're going to slow down and reimagine the Easter stories instead of rushing through them to get to Resurrection Sunday, it's important that we back everything up to get some context around the history of the people and what their expectations were for Jesus in this moment. Because we know they're acknowledging Jesus as a king, but not in the sense Jesus meant, which is why I believe we see Jesus weep as he enters Jerusalem if we look at Luke's account of this same story. But in order to get an an accurate picture, we need to back it up all the way into the Old Testament briefly, because God's desire was always to do things differently than the people seemed to think, even when it came to a kingdom and a king. You see, when we look back into the Old Testament, we can see that God's intention for the people of Israel was that they would have no king other than God himself. Now, if you aren't familiar with Israel, they were called by God to be his chosen people, to bless the world through them, not at the exclusion of others, which is an important side note. But in the book of 1 Samuel, we see Israel has a different understanding or expectation of how things should go. All the cool kids around them, they had kings, so they wanted their own king. And God tells Samuel to warn them that this option isn't going to work well for them, but the people of Israel still desire to have their own king. Why? 
for the purposes of being like all the other nations, that they will have a king to go before them and to fight their battles and to lead the charge. The issue with this is that how battles are fought in the world are different from how God chooses to fight battles. The way the world thinks and works is often in contrast with how God wants to do things. But this idea of what a king should do and looks like dates all the way back to this story of Israel in the Old Testament, where the kings waged war, they conquered territory, and they took slaves for their own use. And this was the story that Israel experienced of their own slavery and exodus of exile and restoration. And so the Jewish people of their time would have had a deep connection to these stories. So it's no coincidence that Jesus enters into Jerusalem during Passover with these thoughts in mind. Now, Passover is the celebration of the exodus of Israel, where God set his people free from slavery in Egypt through the sacrifice of the lamb and then helping them cross the Red Sea. So this moment in Jesus' ministry is loaded with significance and expectation. They had watched Jesus' ministry and heard his teaching about a new kind of kingdom. And now Jesus is arriving in the city and people are expecting him to act as a king would. I'm sure if we could be there in the moment, you would be able to feel the anticipation in the air, like the moments before a championship game or a musical performance or a significant life event. You can feel it deep in your gut, the expectation, the tension. I mean, we are people who can easily be filled with these feelings of anticipation. That is this moment for the people as Jesus enters. You see, the people would have believed if he really was the king of Israel, that he would function within the rules of the world, that he would fight battles against Israel's enemies, most specifically the Romans. And so they can't wait to make Jesus king. In fact, at one point previously in John 6, a crowd tries to make him king for this very purpose. Yet Jesus slips away and escapes. Jesus has plans to inaugurate a kingdom, just not as a worldly king would. The people also would have assumed he would rebuild or at least cleanse and restore the temple. There was some significance to that, which Jesus talks about in John 2. And he says that they could destroy the temple and that he would rebuild it in three days. Now again, He won't meet the expectations the people anticipated as he enters Jerusalem with that teaching. The people also would have thought that he would bring Israel's long history to a climax where he would reestablish the monarchy as it was in the days of David and Solomon, which he does. Jesus is going to usher in a new kingdom, but again, it looks completely different than how people assumed it should be achieved and how it should look. The reality is, is that Jewish people in this time were hoping and longing and praying for what they thought the prophets had sketched and the Psalms had sung, which was rescue within the current world. This is what the people chant in John 12, verse 13, as they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's an echo of Psalm 118, which is a psalm with language of triumph and victory and enemies being cut down. But Jesus' triumphal entry has him not on a horse as a king with words of war to get a crowd excited, but rather has him entering on a colt, weeping over a city and people who seem to have misunderstood and whose present expectations have them miss what he's really doing. Yet this is what Jesus has done from the beginning of John's gospel. When, when we read that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, Jesus was bringing with him a new way of being. He was fulfilling an old temporary way and showing the world what it looks like to bring heaven on earth. 
And the truth is, is the entire New Testament is trying to get our attention to this fact that Jesus is the living God of Israel who's bringing their story to its climactic moment that will change everything forever. It may just look different than they anticipated. You see, the past years of ministry for Jesus were centered on this idea. God's kingdom was arriving through word and action, and God himself was on the move again, and he was going to rescue his people and put the world to rights. The issue was that it was difficult for the people in Jesus' time to hear and see what he was actually saying because of what they wanted him to say and do. You see, they had expectations that involved a political or military solution. The Palm Sunday entrance is the epitome of these expectations. We see them play out. But let me rephrase this as to not exclude us from this, as we can easily do. The issue was and has always been that it can be difficult for us to hear what Jesus is actually doing because of what we want him to say or do. We have expectations. But the whole point of Jesus' work up to this moment as he enters the city, to borrow words from Tom Wright, was to bring heaven on earth and join them together forever. To bring God's future into the present and make it stick there. But when heaven comes to earth and finds earth unready, when God's future arrives in the present while people are still asleep, there will be explosions. This is because we struggle at times to navigate new territory, to change our expectations or how we think things should work. And so to borrow a few more words from Tom, he suggests that new things don't generally bother us until we realize it means letting go of old, comfortable things. You see, we didn't mind new cautions around a pandemic until it meant our old lives of being able to see whoever we wanted, whenever we wanted, was taken from us. Then arguments started breaking out. We don't mind the idea of a new diet until we realize cake gets taken out of our regular menu, and then it becomes a whole lot more difficult to stick to it. I mean, this is why many of us may have a storage closet or maybe a storage room or maybe even a full storage basement, because it's easier to keep the old stuff than to let it go. Even if we know we should let it go, we always wrestle with this question of, what if I need it again later? This happens in the Palm Sunday story, and it happens to us when we explore what it means to follow Jesus. The reality is, is we're open to the new of what Jesus wants us to do until we realize it means we're being stretched out of what is old and comfortable. And then we can start, start to get bothered and upset. For the people welcoming Jesus into the city, they were going to be asked to consider letting go of how they thought a kingdom should act in the world. They were being asked to discover how God's kingdom wants to work in the world around them. Now, you may not have known this, but the symbols of the palm branches that surround Jesus' entry actually go with the celebration of Hanukkah. And when you look at the history, there's this guy named Judas Judas, uh, Maccabeus who defeats pagan invaders and cleanses the temple in 164 B.C. After this happens, his followers entered the city waving palm branches in celebration. And so Hanukkah was when Judas and his family became kings of Israel. Jesus and his followers were, so to speak, bringing these expectations together, that Jesus was the king coming to claim his throne. And as people shout and wave these branches upon the arrival of Jesus, it was these images they had in mind. They thought that it would mean that they would be restored and that a new revolution would be underway. But the the revolution that God has in mind that takes off on Friday is going to look very different. 
And so how quickly we will watch the people who welcome him with palm branches and anticipation be the crowd shouting for his death. Why? Because how Jesus works in the world is different than they expected. They had trouble understanding because of what they wanted him to say. What they wanted him to say and do became clear on Palm Sunday as he entered. But today is simply the beginning of the inauguration of the new way. The rest comes next weekend. But the question for each of us to ponder on Palm Sunday is, do we recognize the king for who he is? Or do we try to make him look and act different because of our own personal expectations? Have we let unmet expectations shape our view of Jesus? Have we forced Jesus to try and fit into our view of how we think he should work? Has Jesus simply become an add-on to our lives? Have we ever stopped to ask this question of our expectations? Is that actually how Jesus works? You see, when we hold tightly to certain expectations, it gives us only one lens to look through. It's what caused these people welcoming Jesus to miss what he was doing. And it may cause us to miss what Jesus is doing in the world around us. Because if we expect that Jesus is our magic genie here to give us our every wish, we may miss the blessings and the work of Jesus in our lives when we don't get what we've asked for. If we think following Jesus and the kingdom of God is about wealth and prosperity and power, we miss what Jesus wants to do within our own hearts and how Jesus wants to change the world through us. We miss that the gospel isn't just about us as individuals, but rather is about the world that God wants to redeem through us, through our meekness and serving. If we expect that Jesus being king means that we never face hardship or difficulty, we will miss the Jesus of Good Friday who suffers. And we miss the heart of Jesus who weeps with those in the midst of pain and hurt, and the God that doesn't waste any opportunities to redeem. If we expect that Jesus only shows up in the big moments of life, life, we will miss the Jesus of interruptions and the mundane, who works on the go with whoever is put in front of him. If we expect that Jesus gives or shows favor based on our actions and what we do for him, we miss the Jesus of grace that reminds us that we bring nothing to the table and that we need nothing other than to trust him to receive that grace. If we expect Jesus to turn his back on us because of our past or because of things we do wrong in the present or in fear of what we may do in the future, we miss the Jesus of forgiveness that the story of Easter is moving towards. Don't miss how God wants to show up in your life and in the world around you because it doesn't always look the way you think it should. Remember, he came in on a donkey when a king would show up on a horse. The story of Palm Sunday and all of Easter is the reminder that God's way is different than ours, that his thoughts are not our thoughts, and that he uses the things that seem foolish to the world to show his greatness. Because it's exactly in the places we don't expect God to show up where we often find him at work. Like for me recently, it was on Facebook Marketplace. I recently was selling a golf club, and I had a guy reach out to me about the club who said he wanted to come purchase it. And we agreed on a time and day and that, and, and that he would come and he, and he never showed up for our time, which isn't uncommon if you've ever sold anything online, but something wouldn't let me let go of this moment. And so I messaged him back asking if he still had plans on coming and if he was okay, to which he replied almost immediately telling me he wouldn't be able to come anymore as he was in the hospital and had recently had a heart attack at 32 years old. Engaged in the conversation further, asking how he felt, his thought process, and if I could pray with him. 
to which he immediately said he doesn't necessarily believe in prayer, but would be open to it as he had not experienced kindness like this before from a stranger. And so I got to pray for him and told him I would hold the, the potter for him, to which he replied that he wanted to come see me and talk further. And so a few weeks later, he was on my doorstep as we began a conversation. And although it was brief about what I believe and how he was doing, the conversation ended with him telling me to keep his phone number because when the golf courses reopen, he wants to go out and spend four hours playing golf together so he can ask more questions. You see, what should have been a simple online sale turned out to be an unexpected place that Jesus wanted to work and show up within my own life. But what if I didn't expect Jesus could show up and work in those places? What if I forgot that Jesus rides a donkey and weeps over people in a city rather than entering with a war cry? Have you forgotten how Jesus shows up in the world? See, Palm Sunday is the beginning of this climactic moment where Jesus shows the world his unexpected way of bringing the kingdom. And so to quote Tom Wright one last time, he says that when God wants to take his power and reign, putting the world to rights as he'd always promised, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the meek, the brokenhearted, the crushed in spirit. Would you become aware of and expect Jesus to show up in the unexpected? Because he does and he will. Because the story of Easter is that God doesn't work the way most people think things work. And it's easy to miss it from our own expectations and trying to force Jesus into our preconceived ideas. So you have to ask yourself the question, when I look at my expectations of Jesus, is that actually how he works in light of the Gospels? Jesus is the expected king, but arrives in an unexpected way on a donkey. And with the expectations of the people to save them, he will do it, but in an unexpected way. But for the rest of that story, we must wait until Friday.